Hello, and welcome to the Quest Church San Diego Sermon Podcast. Our church has a passion to reach people who are far from God, teach them to follow Jesus, and launch them out to serve God in the world. If you're in the San Diego area, we'd love for you to join us for a service. Please visit questsd.com to learn more about us, find out service times, and explore our ministries. If you have any questions, send us an email at info at questsd.com. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy today's message. Well, we're going to jump into our Bible study this morning, so let me encourage you to grab your Bibles and your journals and turn with me to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. We are continuing our study through Paul's letters to the church in Thessalonica. We wrapped up our study through 1 Thessalonians last week. And in these letters, Paul is expressing to this very young church that he planted during his second missionary journey. In fact, he was only there for three weeks, and yet this church was really on fire for Jesus. Uh, Paul praised the church in his opening letter in chapter 1 because they had a, a love for one another, and they had a work of faith in their congregation, so much so that their lives were being changed And other people were taking note of that change in their lives. And their reputation as being on fire for Jesus was not only spreading in their community, but it was also spreading to other cities. And yet, there were also some challenges. Uh, Those challenges Paul addressed in the sanctification work that Paul said that God's will is our sanctification, that we should abstain from sexual immorality. And he also addressed certain doctrines that were important. In fact, we've entitled this series, In the Meantime, and that is a dual meaning or dual purpose because Paul was encouraging this church on how to live as they wait for the return of Jesus. So in the meantime, as you wait for Christ's return, this is how you ought to live, and this is your lifestyle. But we also know that this church experienced a lot of persecution, and even Paul the Apostle experienced that as well. He was run out of the city of Thessalonica by certain people because they didn't want him preaching the gospel in that city. And so in the meantime also speaks of the persecution and the trial and the hardship that we experience as we wait for the return of Jesus as well. And we're actually going to pick up on that theme today and looking at the purpose of pain that God has in our lives and the persecution that we may experience for being a Christ follower. And so that's kind of the theme today. But as we do every single week, we also like to have one theme that kind of, uh, you know, speaks to those texts. And the theme for us today, or the, the point, is that God uses stressful conditions to strengthen our character. God uses stressful conditions to strengthen our character. There's a purpose that God has in the pain that we go through. And, uh, you know, I kind of think about that question, well, why does God allow pain in our lives? And oftentimes, we know that God is doing something good, but it's very difficult for us to see that in the midst of that pain. And it kind of reminds me of a couple of analogies. Um, One is, I don't know if you've ever taken off, uh, you know, in an airplane during a rainstorm. And, you know, you're in the airplane, you're on the runway, and it's just dark and gloomy and rainy. But once you take off and you make it through the clouds and you break through the clouds, it's just gorgeous. It's beautiful. It's just an endless 
pillow of clouds all the way to the horizon. And then you just see the, the brightness of the sun shining. And it just is a kind of a reminder that sometimes when, when the, the storms and the thunderstorms and the rain and the darkness and the gloominess of life is surrounding us, it, it's hard to see above the clouds. It's hard to really see God's perspective. And he actually is above all things, right? We talk about God's sovereignty, that he's in control of all things. He allows certain things to happen in our lives. But he sees above the clouds and sometimes we don't. There's another analogy. When our kids were young, they were uh, interested in cross-stitching or, or needlepoint. It's kind of you stretch the fabric out and you pass the needle from side to side and you're making a beautiful picture through the thread and the needle and the color. But uh, if you look on one side, you can see the picture starting to take shape. But if you look at the back side, there's a bunch of frayed ends and, and knots and all the lines are going in different directions and it just doesn't make sense. And sometimes our perspective on the pain or the trial or the difficulty, we're looking at the, the cross stitch or the knitting of our lives from the backside. And it's very difficult to see what God really is doing. It kind of reminds me of Psalm 139 that talks about how we are knit together in our mother's womb. We're fearfully and wonderfully made. That God is involved in the small details of our lives and it's, you know, we're encouraged not only in various verses but also in these verses to trust the Lord's process as we go through the pain. And we're gonna see this in four simple ways, just a very simple outline for us. One is we're gonna see Paul praise the church for this type of character. Secondly, we're gonna see Paul prepare the church for persecution that is to come in, in their lives. Thirdly, we're gonna see Paul provide insight on God's punishment or his just judgment. And then lastly, we're gonna see Paul close this chapter with a prayer for the church. And so we're gonna jump right in. Uh, first, excuse me, Second Thessalonians chapter one, verse one. Paul says, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a very common introduction for Paul's letters in the New Testament. There's a, a greeting. Paul often spoke of God's grace. In fact, some scholars call Paul the apostle of grace because he shares that it's by grace you have been saved through faith and this not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. And so uh, we see that grace and peace are connected to the work of God our Father. God gives us grace. It's his unmerited favor. It's not something that we deserve. But uh, we also, when we experience the grace of God, then we can receive the peace of God. And the peace of God is experienced through the person of Jesus Christ. That's one of the names of Jesus. He's the Prince of Peace. And when we cast all those worries and those burdens upon God, then the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, would guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So Paul obviously is the apostle that has written most of the New Testament. His life was changed when he met Jesus on a road to Damascus. He was actually on the in the process of persecuting and throwing Christians into prison. And while he was persecuting Jesus, uh, he met Jesus, and then he began to preach Jesus. Silvanus is another name for Silas and Timothy. These were men who accompanied. These were young men who were trained and raised up by Jesus and, excuse me, Paul in the ministry. And they were often dispatched to various cities and churches to uh, preach and to minister and to serve the needs of the congregation. So these were young pastors and ministers trained up by, uh, by Paul. 
the grace and the peace, a common introduction here. And then he gets right into the meat of his uh, letter here, praising them. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as is fitting because of, the, of your faith that grows exceedingly and the love for every one of you all abounds towards each other. He says that we're bound. This is kind of the idea that Paul has an obligation, not only to pray for the church, but to give thanks because of the great work that God is doing in their lives. And I, I see three characteristics. One, he talks about faith. Second, we see this love. And then the third is in verse four. So that we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for your patience and faith in your persecution and tribulation that you endure. Everyone say tribulation. That's not a fun word to say. We don't want to talk about the pain or the tribulation or the trial, but every single one of us is, experiences that from time to time. There's that old saying that says you're either in a trial, you're, you've come out of a trial, or there's one just waiting for you on Monday morning. And so it's a part of life, and God uses those things as we're going to talk about. But here we'll just pause and make mention of this kind of this opening. He, he gets right to the issue, and that issue is that they, this church is experiencing tribulation. And difficulty. However, in the context of this tribulation, there's something beautiful that's taking place. I see a couple of things. One is their uh, reliance on God through faith, their radiance of love towards others, and their resilience of patience in the midst of persecution. And uh, I love that word resilience. is another word that I love, tenacity. And it's this idea of just sticking it out. It's kind of like that old uh, figure that we used to have back in the 80s, Gumby. You, ever, you guys remember Gumby? Uh, it's, you know, he's really stretchy and rubbery and you stretch him and, but he goes right back to his original shape. That's kind of the idea of, of patience and endurance in these situations. It's, it's, it's the, it's the idea of even though we're going to be stretched, we're not going to be broken. You know, sometimes we get stretched and we're bent out of shape. Our attitudes are bent out of shape a bit. Uh, but we're not going to be broken because we're relying upon him. And first Paul says, that there is a faith that grows in the midst of these difficulties um, and, and trials. And uh, I don't know about you guys, but maybe you have a lot of weeds growing right now at your <laughs> property or your place. Um, but not only weeds, you're probably getting prepared for your garden or your vegetables or your flowers. And what do we do to make those grow big? Well, we give them nutrients. Uh, we give them fertilizer, and we give them miracle grow. And what, is, what do those things do? Well, they're super packed with the nutrients that are needed to provide and to sustain growth. And I have found, and Paul is speaking to this as well in this letter, that trials and tribulations are super packed with the nutrients that are needed to grow our faith in God. And yet we don't value it, the, the trials as much because we don't want them. They're difficult. They're, they're hard. So faith is growing. So faith grows abundantly in the ground of adversity. In adversity, we find that God increases and grows our faith. Just like the fertilizer upon the plant, so the adversity is to our heart, cultivating faith. And biblical faith is simply trusting uh, trusting the Lord, having a reliance upon Him. When I was um, reading, uh, when I was reading some commentaries about these verses, I came across Spurgeon's quote about um, how God uses adversity. He says that every single one of us should always have something in our hand greater than our current, present capacity, and then to grow up into it. We talk about 
here at the church, we say that every single one of us, whether we've been walking with God five days, five years, or 50 years, that we all have a next faith step of growth in our lives. And oftentimes, God is using those things that seem to be big and beyond our capacity. They're overwhelming to us in our life right now. He uses those things for us to grow up into them and to prepare us for future things. I like what Spurgeon says, that we should all, all of us should have something in our hand that is bigger and beyond our present capacity and then to grow up into it. There's a reliance through these adversities, but also Paul says that there's a love that increases, that faith grows and love flows, right? Love is flowing from one to another. He says that you're abounding in this. And uh, this love for people is refined through the furnace of trouble. When we go through trouble, there's an appreciation. And how does that happen? Well, we're humbled by those difficulties. And we're oftentimes broken and we're relying upon God. But then it also gives us a compassion for other people. And I have found that when I'm throwing a pity party for myself, going through difficulties, oh, woe is me. One of the best things that we can do in those moments is to set that aside and to start serving other people. The volunteer somewhere where people are um, worse off than us. And I, I know that there are many people who are going through things that are much heavier and much more difficult than I'm going through. That's not to say that what we're going through is, doesn't matter. It's abs- it absolutely does matter. But if we set those things aside and we can start to serve other people, then it gives us uh, this sense of humility and compassion and brokenness and sympathy for the weaknesses of others. And that is what was happening in the church. They were loving one another and recognizing that the adversity was actually bringing more unity. It was drawing them closer together. And I have found that maybe if you've ever gone on a missions, missions trip overseas or you served here, maybe here at the church during um, a big outreach to our community, then when you go through the trials and, and, and the trenches of, of serving together the Lord, then it draws you closer together. It gives you an affinity and it goes beyond the greeting and the high five and the fist bump or whatever it is on Sunday morning or the, you know, the talk around the, the donut table. And I'm not, those are great. We're building community and fellowship, but we're, uh, we're serving together and we're, we're getting down into these other issues. And it's like, oh yeah, I know what's going on and I can pray for that person. So faith grows. Love flows, and obviously there should be something else because we need three things, and that is patience shows. Notice he says that there's a resilience and an endurance through these trials, and I found that patience and endurance shines the brightest when the stress is the toughest. When the trial is intense, that is when uh, the Lord Jesus Christ shines the brightest in our lives. Being stretched but not broken, showing faith, uh, showing love, showing uh, patience in the Lord. Notice Paul opens up this letter with praise and admiration and thanks to this church for this type of quality and character, for their blameless character that is being formed. And I pray would also be formed in us as well as we go through some of these things. Now, he's going to talk a little bit more about the intensity of these persecutions. Look with me in verse 5. 
And because of these tribulations, it's actually an ongoing sentence there from four to five, which is the manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God. That's an interesting phrase. Because it's not talking about the judgment of God against the wicked. It's talking about the sovereignty of God to allow certain things in our lives. It's righteous judgment, basically the verdict of God. It's his prerogative to allow certain things that come in and out of our lives. And some of those things can be pain. Sometimes we think about the judgment of God. We think about the punishment. And yes, that does include the punishment of God upon wickedness. But it also includes what would be found in the story of Job back in the Old Testament. Where Job was this righteous man. He got up early and prayed for his family. He sacrificed and worshipped God. And yet God allowed through his providence this pain and suffering and agony. All the things to just be wiped away from his life. And this is the righteous judgment of God in our lives to allow these things. And it's for a purpose. And he says that you may be counted, look at uh, in verse 5, that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer. So there's a preparation through the trials now that are um, gearing us up, so to speak, for the future. Which is also in verse 6, since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you and to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. We'll just stop there. It's continuing on sentence. But he's talking, Paul's talking about the persecution and the tribulation. And he's saying that there is a purpose. And uh, that purpose is found in the sovereignty of God uh, here as we experience them in our lives. But he's also saying that there will come a day when God is going to settle those accounts. He's going to repay. He's going to um, settle those things. He's going to give us, notice the word, rest. I love that word. Who needs rest? Let me see a show of hands. I probably need some rest. Good. I see all of our ministry team raising their hands. (laughs) They need rest. They serve so faithfully. And I know it's been a pretty busy schedule over these last week, and there's going to be more going on. So I found that the more that we can spread the load, the easier it is on any one individual or person. Um, But we all need rest. Who needs a nap? Are you going to go home after service today and eat your burrito or your donut or whatever it is and take a nap? That would be great, you know? It's good to get a nap and to get some rest, uh, but... That's only half of the story when it comes to the rest that we need. You know, Jesus says, if anyone is weary and heavy burden, come to me and I'll give you rest for your soul. Not, he's not talking about the feet, your feet, you know, your soul of your feet. He's talking about who you are inside, who you really are, your personality, your character, your dreams, your wishes, your desires, what makes you tick throughout the day. This is who you really are. He'll give you rest for your soul. And that's just a wonderful invitation by Jesus to come and receive that rest. So sometimes we'll get rest from God here, but there is also a rest promised for us in the future. And yet Paul prepares the church here in these verses of the ruthless persecution that they are going to experience. And oftentimes these types of vicious trials that Paul is talking about that we go into from time to time in life, we don't welcome these vicious trials Because we don't value the precious outcome. If we had the perspective at the end of the trial or the end of the hardship in understanding what God is doing to refine us, then we would welcome those things with open arms. But uh, that's not my response. My response is, is in oh, praise the Lord, 
Oh, God has a purpose and a plan. Oh, there's sun shining above the clouds. <laughs> you know, that's not my initial response. My initial response isn't faith and, and love and patience and endurance. When I go through these types of things, it's, um, it's uh, uh, worry and anxiety and fear and doubt and anger and bitterness. I'm sure none of those emotions happen in your life. I'm just speaking for myself, but that's just a little joke. You guys can, I'm sure you can identify with. We all experience that. Those are the things that tend to leak out, right, when we're going through these, these trials. But if we would acknowledge and understand and kind of keep the perspective of God from, from the front side of the cross stitch or from the, the top side of the clouds, then these um, trials would be precious to us. That's a quite a big change from vicious to precious, right? And it's only precious when we understand what God is doing in our lives. And Paul, excuse me, Peter would say it in his letter, 1 Peter chapter 1. These are, those are great verses. 1 Peter chapter 1, you can jot that down in you know, your margin or in your journal or wherever. Um, verses 6 and 7, he talks about how even though you're experiencing these light and momentary afflictions... It is producing a far greater work so that the genuineness of your faith, which is much more precious than gold, can be uh, refined to the glory and to the praise and to the honor of God. That's what God is doing through these things. It's uh, refining our faith. That is what is precious to God. And not only is our faith precious, but you are precious to God. The Bible says God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. There's nothing more precious to God than you. And because of that, it's like if you have a child or you have a grandchild, uh, they're just so precious. And you just want to just pinch their cheeks and give them candy and then give them back to your, their kids. Uh, you know, and sugar them up. But they're precious. And when something is precious, you value it. And you just want to be, you just want to sit with it, Right? And that's the idea here of these trials. It's a precious work that God is doing in our lives. But the tribulations are for that purpose, as we talked about, being counted worthy. That our present pain is preparing us for a future gain. That our character and our life would look more like Jesus Christ. So we talked about this praise for the church, their character, but also the persecution that they are going to experience. And then Paul shifts he, he talks to the saints, but now he's going to talk to the wicked. In verse 8, look with me there, of the punishment of God. And in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God. Circle that phrase, who do not know God. And secondly, those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction. Everyone say punished punished this is the this is the picture of hell this is the picture of God's righteous just judgment and notice that hell is eternal that the judgment of God is eternal and so that does not um, fade away it lasts forever and what is actual punishment and judgment of God he says it right there from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he comes in, the day, in that day to be glorified in his saints and to be admired among those who believe because our testimony among you who uh, have believed. So here in these verses, Paul provides insights on God's relentless 
punishment. Now, it's something pretty fascinating. One of the things we're talking about with our time uh, at the Pastors Academy with the men in the residency program is uh, we're looking at the characteristics and the nature of God. And one of those qualities is justice. You know, we see this word vengeance, and oftentimes the vengeance that we have is more vindictive. It's retaliatory. Um, And the Bible says that the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. But the word vengeance here used in these verses does not mean vindictiveness. It literally means a firm administration of unwavering justice. That God is an impartial judge weighing the evidence and providing a just verdict. And because of that, in recognizing, as the Bible says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and the wages or the penalty of sin is death, then there is a judgment that God gives upon two two people. He says here, those who do not know God and those who have rejected the gospel. Now, the gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ. It's the way in which God has provided reconciliation with sinful man as well as um, a restoring and a forgiveness and a cleansing of sin. And so for us to reject the plan and the way of God puts us under the penalty and the judgment and the justice of God. And all the way from the very beginning, God has desired to reconcile that relationship. You You remember Adam and Eve were cast out from the presence of God because of their disobedience. And uh, God has been desiring to restore that relationship, and he has done that through the gospel of Jesus Christ, uh, the sending of his son, Jesus Christ, to live a pure and sinless life, to die a sinner's death, and to raise in power, giving us victory over sin and over death for those who believe, those who receive. And so we see that God's righteous judgment demands a serious punishment. We cannot remove the justice of God even though we hold on to and hope for the mercy of God. And those two work together in the nature of God. He is holy and just, but he's also merciful and loving. And we know that because it is on the cross of Calvary where we see the justice of God and the mercy of God collide. It's through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross where we see both of those perfect, but yet in our minds seemingly contradictory natures of God meet in the person of Jesus Christ. And so I have found that there are only two places where you and I can meet God's justice. One is the hill of Golgotha, and that is the place of the skull. That is the place of Calvary. The hill of Golgotha is where Jesus Christ was sacrificed, where he died on the cross for our sins. That's one place where you can meet the justice of God. The second place is the hell of Gehenna. And Gehenna is a word used to describe hell in the Bible. It's a place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth where the fire and the worm does not die, where there's everlasting separation from God. There's only two places, the hill of Golgotha and the hell of Gehenna. And Paul is giving this strict and sincere warning to those who would meet Jesus and the mercy of God at the hill of Golgotha. It is there that the love of God was demonstrated for all. You see, God did not set aside his judgment and his justice 
It was actually satisfied upon the cross of Calvary. And it's my prayer and hope that you would meet the mercy of God at the cross of Calvary. And if you have not done so already, if you do not know God or have not received the gospel, then today I want to give you that opportunity because you can make certain and sure that you have received the gospel, have been transformed and changed, and are no longer under, listen, this is important, friends, are no longer under the judgment of God in the hell of Gehenna. There is a place restored for you. It's not created for you. That where I am, Jesus says, there you may be also. There's a reconciliation of our relationship and there's a restoring, restoring and the forgiveness of our sins. And then lastly, I don't know how you move on from that. It's very serious. But lastly, Paul points the church back to his prayer. And I love this closing prayer kind of in closing here this morning. Look in verse 11. Therefore, we also pray. Now remember, therefore is a transition. He's reminding them. He's praising them for their character. He's reminding them of the persecution that they're going to experience. He's reminding them of the justice that God will satisfy. But then he says, because of this, we pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling. What is that calling? To suffer like Christ. To go through these difficult times experiencing his faithfulness. To be counted worthy of his calling and to fulfill all the good pleasure of God's goodness and the work of faith with power that the name of the Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and that you in him according to the grace of of our God and Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He started this chapter off by this phrase. He closes it with this phrase as well. Grace begins, grace sustains, and grace ends all that he does in our lives. And yet, Paul prays for the church to be a spotless witness for him, to be qualified, fortified, and glorified in him, to be worthy that spiritual maturity, as Paul prays for this church, is developed on the field of personal adversity as we go through these trials. It's developing the spiritual maturity to be qualified. It's God that qualifies us through what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross, but also to be fortified. I I love this picture of being made strong, to be strengthened, that real character leaks out when rough circumstances press in. And if we have been growing in faith and showing love for others and demonstrating endurance and patience and trust in God, then those are the qualities that are going to leak out. Not the worry, not the frustration, not the doubt. Oh, sure, from time to time we might have those emotions and thoughts come out, but it's real character, godly character, sanctification character that comes when life presses in. And what's this for? So that we can glorify God. God, would you just take my life? Would you take whatever you allow into my life to honor you, to praise you, and to glorify you? There are a lot of gory details when it comes to hardship and trial, right? They're vicious, they're difficult, they're hard. The gory details are pretty challenging. But even though there might be gory details, there's still the glory of God. The glory of God is shining bright in our lives and oftentimes it's the gory details that bring a little bit more gloss and shine to the glory of God in our lives. 
so that we can demonstrate and represent Jesus Christ to other people because at the end of the day, when people see the hardships that we are experiencing, but yet we're growing in faith, we're saying, yeah, I'm trusting you, God. And then we are seeing love increase in our lives and we're not talking, we're talking less about ourselves and more about others. How can I help you? How can I love you? How can I serve you? How can I pray for you? They say, what is that all about? That just, that's, that's different than the world. That's different than what I experience at work. That's different than what I see at school. That's different than what I was taught growing up. Can you explain that to me? And that's our opportunity to shine the glory and the glossiness of God for others to see. God uses these stressful circumstances and conditions to strengthen and purify our character in him. So with that, we're gonna have our worship team come on up, close us in a, in a closing song. But uh, as always, there's many takeaways for us as we study the scriptures. And some of those things I have written on our sermon notes. Uh, but other things I know that the Holy Spirit ministers to each one of us differently. And there could be some things that you need to settle with the Lord today. Maybe some things that he's spoken to you about in our closing prayer as well as even in this song. Just talk with him. So with that, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this morning and the time in your word. Uh, Thank you, Lord, for this prayer. Sometimes we don't even know how to pray or what we ought to pray for and we can take a couple of cues and some notes from Paul's prayer. I pray that every single one of us in this room and those who are joining us online would be counted worthy of the calling of God in the sufferings and the fellowship of Christ's sufferings in our lives. I pray also, Lord, that we would fulfill all the good pleasure of the goodness of God, that we would please you and honor you and bless you and praise you even in the pain, even in the storms, even in the suffering, even in the adversity, even in the agony. Lord, would you bring about a good work? And I pray for anyone in this room who might be experiencing some of those things. And you've heard a little biblical perspective on the purpose of pain. And yet you're still a bit skeptical. It's easy to say those words up behind a podium on stage. It's a little harder to put them into action and to live them throughout our day. But I just want to encourage you to take one little step towards the faithfulness and the goodness of God today. You don't have to have it all figured out, and many times we don't. But I can tell you this, that God has already gone before you, and he's going to walk you through, as Psalm 23 says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He leads me beside still waters. He uh, quiets my soul. He makes me lie down in green pastures. You see that? That's a picture of rest. Stop fighting. Stop running and experience the rest of God. And maybe it's because you haven't settled matters in your life. And maybe it's because you're under the just judgment of God through the hell of Gehenna. Friend, Nothing else matters. No four-point sermon, no PowerPoint, no lights, no seats, no clothing. Nothing else matters, friends, than your soul right now before God. And I pray that you would not leave this place if you have not done so already, bowing your heart 
to the King of kings and the Lord of lords who loves you, who's demonstrated that love for you on the cross, passed from death to life and received the gift of God through his son, Jesus Christ. You can do that simply by confessing your sin. God, forgive me of my sin. Cleanse me and wash my sin away. I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. I believe that he died on the cross for my sins. He paid the penalty that I deserved so that I could be the beneficiary of God's mercy and love. Thank you so much. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Make me born again through the power of God. And may I live my life to please and honor you. If you've prayed that prayer or if you've made that commitment or even if you've rededicated your life to the Lord, I want to encourage you and support you afterwards. I'm going to be available. I'd love to pray for you. I'd love to hear your story. I'd love to hear about what God is doing in your life. Maybe you just need to turn to somebody next to you and say, would you pray for me? That can be happen as well. So God, we just love you. We thank you that you know what's going on and we can trust you. May we worship you and praise you now. In Jesus' name. We all said, amen, amen. Thanks again for joining us for the Quest Church San Diego Sermon Podcast. We hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions about the Bible, need prayer, or recently made a commitment to follow Jesus, we'd love to hear from you. Please visit questsd.com to get connected. You can also send us an email at info at to let us know how God is using these messages to encourage you in your walk with Jesus. Until next time, we pray you have a blessed week.